For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a thing with the latest Newcastle news, gossip and social stories as they break. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to CHN Radio, episode 159. I'm your host, Greg Troxell. We have a jam-packed podcast. We're, we're fitting in everything for you because I know you're, you're just begging for more. Uh, today, we're going to give you uh, an unfortunate recap of the 5-2 butchering against Leeds United. Not, not in a good way for Newcastle, in case you're new here. Uh, we lost. And then we're going to preview Fulham for the weekend and in the middle, in the middle of our match sandwich we're going to give you news surrounding newcastle united and we have two people to introduce for you but the first we'll get out of the way is the best damn coast in the land elijah newsom how are you today you already know it's popping um excited to talk about uh i don't know i i would i can't yeah. lie i'm not I'm not excited yeah it's 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 gonna be rough Yeah, it's uh, it's not fun at all watching Newcastle United get destroyed by a recently promoted championship side. Uh, the next person to introduce is our brother from the same like network, um, from the False <laughs> Nines. We have Zach Pensack. How are you? What's going on, guys? Excited to be talking with you. Less excited to be talking about Newcastle. That's where I'd put myself today. I feel like every single time you're on, that's the exact yeah, it's, same. Uh... It's... <laughs> I don't know, man. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's let's get into the match then. Uh, first thing we always do, Elijah, putting you on the spot here because CA. HN underscore podcast is still banned because they have not accepted the proof that we are all above the age of 13 years old. Uh, still have not heard any correspondence from them on that. And uh, so Elijah, if you could lead away with the three words on the main account, let's see uh, what people said. So just if you are new here, once again, after every match, we ask you to, to describe the match in three words and you always deliver, always, every time. So Elijah, what we got? What's some good three words today? Um, Toon Army Syracuse coming in with 25 shots, which, okay, makes sense. Uh, Mile High Jordy, Longstaff has regressed. Peter Snowden, Steve Bruce out. Are we not sure this guy, Peter Snowden, not related to uh, – what's his name? Eric Snowden, the WikiLeaks Ed- guy? Ed- Edward, Edward Ed- Snowden. Edward Snowden, yeah. I'm yeah. just – not a common last yeah. name there, so I don't. I don't well, Elijah, you got you got to get your whistleblowers in order. He's not the WikiLeaks guy; he's the NSA guy. You're thinking about Julian Assange, who also might be a Newcastle fan, for all we know. 
Oh my gosh, this was a lot of information yeah. for my brain. <laughs> um, our boy Don at Smick Ultra says it was coming. Mike Foster at Mike yep. Foster underscore ATL says we won. Rigged. Shout out uh, Donald Trump there. Eric Schmidt, who I don't know if I, we definitely did mention this on a live podcast, engaged Eric Schmidt at Congratulations, NUC Indiana. Eric. Yeah. Uh, he said Bush League performance. Kim yep. Avery at Kim Kerfuffle. Bad haircuts prevail. That's that's funny. Leads all have the man bun. That's that's the joke there. Okay. Which I ask Kim. I'm rocking that right now. I've just real. That's all right. That's awkward. Um, Andy B at Andy B Theater says, "Ready the excuses." Donner mm-hmm. Donner Bennett says, "Bruce must go." Benjamin Dahlman, oh, what a name, at big underscore chief D. I love that. Money on Fulham. Oh, yeah. Brandon York says, uh, send Longstaff packing. And then Fruit Bat Gaming at Robo Fruit sent a GIF with three words that says the absolute worst featuring a Mets fan. So uh, shout out, Zach. Ooh, wow. That's, that's, damn, I did not expect to be attacked from <laughs> yeah, that angle just... tonight. <laughs> <laughs> But no, those were those were some. Imagine being a Mets and a Newcastle fan. Oh God, I, I mean, couldn't do it. Being a Mets fan is not. Couldn't be me. Uh, being a Mets fan is a lot more hopeful than being a Newcastle fan right now. But uh, those were. Yeah, some y'all good, got a new owner, so it's true. It's true. Things are things are on the up. Those were some good ones. Um, I think a personal yeah. favorite of mine of those uh, those words were. Um, this was coming. I think that is the one that really sticks out to me because it did feel as though a match like, like after two wins in which we were not the better side necessarily for either win. Uh, it, it certainly felt like something was going to happen and uh, yeah, not, not a great, not a great day. Yeah. Not at all. Let's get into it. Let's talk about why it was a crap day. Uh, and we're going to start first with the lineup. So as we mentioned in our preview of this match, we have a lot of matches in not a lot of days. Uh, So we're expecting some sort of squad rotation. And then obviously with the uncertainty of like who actually has COVID versus who is injured is adding to the lineup struggles that we just, the only person who really knows what they're going to be doing is Steve Bruce. And there's still a verdict that he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Shocking. But uh, the lineup for this one, and Zach, I'd love to get your your initial feedback. I'll read the starting lineup and then the subs, and then we'll leave it up to you. Um, We had Darlow, then Murphy, Hayden, Fernandez, and Clark, Lewis, Hendrick, Sean Longstaff, Fraser, Jolinton, and Wilson. And on the bench, uh, Gillespie's back, then Kraft, Richie, Shelby, Almiron, interesting, Gail, and Carol. Zach, what did you think when you first saw that? so it, it did – so Elijah and I were speaking about this right before the match. It did look on paper like five at the back, although I pretty early on saw some reports from – I think it was Miles Starforth uh, saying on Twitter that it, it was going to be a four, maybe a four four one one type uh, situation. So in terms of the, the personnel in that lineup, I, I didn't have a particular issue with it. I was happy to see Shelby dropped. I think that Shelby has been – one of our worst performers as of recently would have liked to see Miggy in the side. I think especially with the way in which leads play where it's so much, so much attack and so much pressing a player like Miggy off the, 
you know, in the starting lineup would reap a lot of benefits in that counterattacking style. But I, I wasn't terribly upset with the starting 11, largely based on the availability of a lot of players right now, which we know is fairly limited. Yeah. And Elijah, what, what is your take? I mean, I understand uh, sitting Miggy. I don't think John Joe Shelby was dropped. I think uh, Steve Bruce was rotating for the sake of rotation. He was like, oh, I've got two good players. I'm going to sit them. And then we're going to – he's, of course, his mindset of put the better lineup out. He's like, all right, well, if I start John Joe and Almiron against Fulham, there's literally no way we lose them. They're bottom three side. So I think that was the case there. Um, shout out to Federico Fernandez and Jeff Hendrick, who uh, who they both beat COVID. So uh, congratulations. Um, I don't know if that warrants Jeff Hendrick returning to the starting lineup, but I uh, the thing I thought we already talked about like Isaac Hayden beating COVID. That's not impressive anymore. Um, but Zach chatted me that he said, "Oh, talk about Hayden. No, we don't care about him." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the weird thing for me, where the hell is Maddie Longstaff? I mean, made such a big shout about, uh, like, and he could be a player that has COVID, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know. He could be. I don't know. It's It just seems odd that, like, in a time where we've just been rotating the hell out of out of the, the squad, we don't have a Matty Longstaff sighting anywhere uh, with him being linked to potentially going alone to Derby. It's just a bit concerning for him, I guess, because – he, he basically re-signed with Newcastle under the pretense that he would get more playing time. Um, so it's a bit odd, but whatever. Um, I was a bit shocked that we came out in back four, given the attacking nature of Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It, it was definitely a surprising team to me. I, I mentioned that I thought we would see all of Almiron, uh, Jolinton, uh Cal Wilson and Dwight Gale. I like I thought they would just be involved in some sort. And they they I guess eventually all were. Yeah, I would but, say eventually um, they were. Uh, yeah. but I was I was thinking I thought Gale would start after that. Um mm-hmm. you know, I agree. 13 minutes and a goal. I mean, why not? And against, you know, a championship type competition in West Brom, you could say the same about Leeds, regardless they're way outperforming. Well, actually they're not really outperforming their expectations, but they were in the championship last year. Um, but the interesting thing and good, good thing that happened for me, Shelby is out, which yes, that needed to happen. Um, but also what this formation really left when my initial reaction was like, there's just no creativity in this side. Um, and that, that's a little scary for, for a team going up against a team that's going to press and going to attack. You need to counteract with some creativity, especially in the midfield. But like you have, if you're not going to have Alan Saint Maximin in the lineup, at least have Almiron in the lineup. And if you're not going to have Almiron, at least have an Alan Saint Maximin because that's really it as far as creativity goes for us, unfortunately. Um, and that's just you know how we are these days. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into the match. Anybody else have anything to say before we do though? Well, I, I was just going to mention that I, I think your your point about the lack of creativity translates well into the match because one of, if not the most criticized player after the match was Sean Longstaff, who, you know, has seemed to really slipped a lot this season. And, and maybe it's a lack of confidence, maybe it's a lack of kind of identity, but um, without having the 
the creative influence in the midfield, he was playing pretty much right alongside Isaac Hayden in this defensive role and was not able to hold his own. Let's be honest here against the, the very relentless attack of leads. And I, I think you, you could either directly or indirectly tie him with two, if not three of the goals that Leeds scored in terms of just losing his man or giving away the ball. And I, I think that this was a very telling match for him. And it'll be really interesting in my mind to see how Longstaff rebounds because this might be close to rock bottom for him as a Newcastle player, getting that starting position, which he's been you know really fighting for and then putting in a performance like that. I would still just say that there's there's not it's not a surprise Sean Longstaff, a young player who made his Premier League debut underneath Rafa Benitez, had a very defined role, excelled in that role, is now starting to stink after you know being injured. That's one thing. But then also coming back and the person you're supposed to be relying on to further your career, the person you're supposed to push you further, the person who's supposed to teach you everything you need to know about the game is Steve Bruce. I feel like that that can't be ignored. Like there's yeah. a lot of players that have regressed under Steve Bruce. And the only players that have seemed to excel are players that one, we know are good. Alan St. Maxman, we know he's good. Miguel Amron, we know what he brings to the table. Dubrovka. Like there, there's players we know it's we know point. they're worth. But it's all the point. players that were fringe players have all declined. Matty Longstaff, yeah. he started off strong, but since then we've seen nothing out of him. Sean Longstaff, same thing. I mean, you can go down the list. DeAndre Yedlin was a player who it made leaps and bounds underneath Rafa Benitez went from a essentially championship quality player to being a somewhat capable premier, like premier league right back. He's declined. Javi Mankio, who made a jump at the end of Rafa's tenure. He's declined. It's every single player that was kind of like, Hey, this player, we're kind of unsure about if they're really premier league quality. They've all declined under Steve Bruce. There's no, there's no like shock there. It, it, it has to be said. It has to be noted. I think that's an underrated like sort of quality where everyone's saying on Twitter, Oh, what happened? This person's really gotten worse. Well, duh. We like the manager is worse. The manager mm-hmm. doesn't care about development. The manager hit the see Bruce's ideas. Like I'm going to bring in proven premier league players because he doesn't have to tell them anything. They they've yeah. been in the prem. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to learn anything. He's just, Oh, go out and do your thing. I think that's 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 a fantastic point. You're right. There there is no sort of uh, quality in his managerial style that caters to the development of young players. I think you'd say maybe Andy Robertson is the only player that has really gone leaps and bounds from having played for Steve Bruce at a young age when he was at Hull City. But I think that's a spot on point, Elijah. It's it's almost this catch twenty two of how do you expect a player to to continue progressing under a manager that doesn't provide any sort of guidance. So I, I think you're right. You have to take the Sean Longstaff criticism on the player for this particular game, but as a whole, I think the the honest you're right does definitely fall on the coaching staff. All right, now we can go into the match. Um, it was not good. We lost five to two, but there's a lot that happened, obviously, because it ended five to two. Uh, and it was uh, congratulations to Steve Bruce because it was his 50th league match in charge of Newcastle. Uh, so we've had to do this 50 times, guys. <laughs> um, and it would have been if if Newcastle would have pulled off the victory, which I just spoiled it for all of you. They didn't. Uh, it would have been the first time in Steve Bruce's career that he had won three straight Premier League matches. Never happened. Um, and it it started to look good. 
Well, no, it never looks good. But against the run of play, uh, we went ahead. And it was it was exactly what we called it. Everyone said Jeff Hendrick was going to score score goals today. He had goals in him. Everyone was confident in that. Uh, just with his stellar play in the midfield and his attacking threat on the ball, we knew he was going to score eventually. Uh, I'm joking, but he scored. <laughs> uh, Jeff Hendrick, against the run of play, gets uh, just – is in the right place at the right time on this one and puts Newcastle up 26 to nothing. I mean, wow. I must, 26 have, nothing. <laughs> I must have eaten a gummy. So um, 26 uh, minute. Nice. Um, but the lead only lasted, unfortunately, for 10 minutes uh, because it was Patrick Bamford. It was absolute assault, attacking assault by Leeds ensuing that first goal. And Patrick Bamford got his ninth of the season um, after – it's basically on the goal line. It was a Rodrigo header – that kind of like caught Carlo Darlow in a weird place and it rebounded off the crossbar and Patrick Bamford knocked it in. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it to you, Elijah. I'd love to hear your recap on that first 36, 40 minutes of this match. Uh, what was your over, overall thought? We're at 1-1 at this point. Uh, yeah, the, the first uh, 15, maybe not even 15, probably but first 10 to 11 minutes, Newcastle very much on the front foot. Uh, it's looking quite solid. Um, Ryan Fraser, I think, was probably one of the the standouts there in terms of just like he was definitely the most dangerous player for Newcastle, especially in the first half. Uh, he was fouled the most out of any player. It seemed like. I, and Greg, you talked about this on the last pod. Uh, their back line is 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 fine, not great. Um, if if they were had the opportunity to improve anywhere on the pitch, it'd probably be with the back line because it's a young, very young back line and a young keeper. So they're always susceptible to just like you know, interesting players like an Alan St. Maxman or Miguel Amarone would be ideal in this situation where you have fullbacks who are much better at getting forward than they are defending. Uh, and so mm-hmm. s- similar thing happened here. Ryan Fraser was, was a dangerous player. Uh, and I mean, Callum Wilson, Joel Linton, they both really could not deal with, with them on the ball, which was bizarre because Joel Linton was still doing his normal slipping and falling everywhere, but it somehow was still looking somewhat decent. And then as Leeds grew into the game, they sort of, started to dominate possession and it's no surprise they're a team that that has like roughly 60 percent possession in every match they play so for them to dominate possession against a, a team that has less than 40 percent possession pretty much every match was not surprising at all um and i mean after the first goal jeff hendrick that's nice it's it's whatever but you you did feel as if leads were going to tie it up at some point and the whole nature of the Bamford goal was just absurd in its own regard. It's just like a matter of not even challenging for the ball or, or marking your man there. And that seems to be um, if you were to place an identity on, on defense under Newcastle in the last three seasons, you would say Rafa very solid defined at the back. People know their roles. Yes, they sit back, but it's, it's disciplined. And under Bruce, the defense has just been anything but disciplined. There's just been so many goals from individual mistakes. It's actually absurd. Like, rarely does this team – like, this team should be getting broken down more. Like, team goals should happen more against Newcastle. But more often than not, Newcastle give up goals because of an individual error, whether they can't clear the ball, whether they're just not marking a man. And it's like, that's way worse than if your team gets broken down because, like, the whole defense assistance bad. If individual players are making mistakes after mistakes after mistakes – then like that's an issue with like the club. I don't even know the manager. I don't. That's just an issue. I don't know. Yeah, and Zach. Um, one of the things that 
we mentioned, or at least in our chat uh, during the match, when we're, we're talking about it, you, and you, this is going to be a recurring theme, I think, for you, is just the, the ball watching you, you refer to a lot in this match. Um, but, and I definitely want to get to that because there's some worse ones than this one. Uh, this was bad, but it's nowhere near what's about to come. But what I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on like what you thought of this formation and was it uh, d- did it work at all against Leeds? I, I would in, say in that beginning stages in, in these beginning stages, uh, it it certainly seemed as though it was kind of, uh, you know, putting duck, duct tape against a gigantic hole in, you know, in a water vessel of sorts. It, I, I think that when, you know, credit to Jacob Murphy, he has had uh, a bit of a, a bit of a resurrection this season, his free kick obviously being the shining moment. That being said, let's be honest here. He's not, He's not a fullback by nature. He is a winger. He is at best a wingback. And that's what this first goal showed us. I mean, Elijah said it perfectly. It was a complete lapse of judgment. It was ball watching. It really put into competition the goal that was scored uh, against Jamal Lewis in the West Brom game of just sitting there and waiting for the ball to get to you and not really being the first to, to kind of think about making your next move. So did it surprise me that this issue came up almost immediately? Not particularly. I think that the bigger issue at hand that we can talk about, Greg, you know, going on to these the the four other goals that were scored in the match is more so a lack of any sort of defensive coherence. And then as a result of that, no real leadership in the defense that we saw today. Yeah, totally. Great, great points. And let's get into a little bit further down the line. Uh, We broke into second, the second half and it was Rodrigo and he had a good day. He steered a, um, a, 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 like a really great header. As, as the Greg term for this, a really great header. Uh, it was inside the far post for Carlo Darlo. And um, it was right around the 60 minute mark. And it was, it, it looked inevitable at this point. Like leads were on the front po- foot. They were, it seemed like they were just dominating us, absolutely peppering us with shots. And at that point, like leads had, I, I mentioned in the preview that leads is, been awful at home and I looking at that match you just wouldn't believe it would you uh so it was it was two to one leads and then we just completely out of nowhere unexpectedly shit housery leveled with Kieran Clark uh the Irishman of Newcastle got the goals in this one uh he beat uh Messelier and uh, it was Ryan Fraser's cross actually so there's shout out to Ryan Fraser getting an assist but Kieran Clark he has scored a lot of header goals on set pieces for Newcastle. And he did it here to tie 2-2. Uh, Elijah, break break it down up to this point. We're at 65 minutes in now. Tie match. Are we going to get a point? Are you even thinking that? It feels like new, like the way Newcastle are playing, where they are just were very – after the first goal, it felt like Newcastle were playing for a draw. Well, sorry, after the – I guess the, after Newcastle scored, it felt – yeah, after the first goal, felt like they were playing for a draw. And then once – Leeds scored through Bamford, felt like, all right, they're playing for the draw. Um, but it was nice to see Newcastle come back with the 2-2. It was nice. It's like, okay. And then at that point, you're happy to take a point because at this point, Leeds have – I think at that point in the match, it was like something like 400 passes to 119. And it's like, at this point, Leeds are dominating. Um, and again, like, this is a, an age-old debate. Yes, blah, blah, blah. Why are we sitting back against a team that's below us in the table? 
that doesn't matter when the team is a better, like they're more tactically adept than Newcastle in every way whatsoever. So like sitting back, like you have to treat them as if they are a top six side with no top six talent, because tactically like where Biesla's head is at, he is, he is managing like, he is managing a top six side. He just does not have the talent. And that's always been the case. That was the case where you saw Leeds only made two or three signings coming into this after being like one of the most dangerous championship teams of all time. Well, not of all time, but last season, like being an insanely good team. And they were good because they were good tactically. They only brought in two or three guys. So it's like you knew that the team was going to be good tactically. So, yeah, I understand dropping back and sitting deep against a team like Leeds because they're, they're a good team. It, they're they're a good team. They just don't have the level of Premier League talent, especially at the back that we're accustomed to. That being said, it's nice to have the goal. It's it felt like, hey, this could be a draw, but it always felt like there was going to be another goal in this one. And it was, and someone put this perfectly. They're like, feels like someone else was going to score after this two two. It does like it just didn't. You didn't know who it was going to be. You could definitely make the case Newcastle could get a dodgy goal off a set piece. Or you can make the case that Leeds were just going to eventually score after firing 40 bajillion shots at Newcastle. Yeah, and, and Zach, I want to move to you now because I, I want to hear your over, like, just what you were thinking at this point, too. Uh, and, and obviously, please feel free to break down any of the goals if you feel. If you have any gripes, I'd love to hear them as well. On, on the second Leeds goal, I think that, that that was the first goal I was alluding to earlier when I yeah. mentioned that Sean Longstaff was a little bit responsible for that. He Ultimately, that was his man. No credit to be taken away from Rodrigo. That was a fantastic header. That being said, you asked the question, if if he was under a little bit more defensive pressure, would he have been able to get the angle that he did? On the Newcastle goal, it was that classic against the run of play, smash and grab. Karen Clark has, it, joking aside, he has proved himself over the last two seasons or so to be quite a threat on crosses and corner kicks. So it was good to see him get that goal. But I, I like the point that Elijah made here, which is that the issue is not that Newcastle was sitting back because I agree, you, you have to play kind of to, to fit the other team's mold in a way. But the issue was, what, what do you do once you get possession? Once... The, the leads attack fizzles out and you, you gain the ball maybe on a some sort of misplaced pass or a long touch. And that, I think, is the core issue with Newcastle right now is we saw time and time again, and one of the announcers actually mentioned this, almost laughing, that Callum Wilson and Joe Linton were about 40 yards in front of the rest of the team, pretty much 40 yards away from each other on the individual wings. And all that we were doing once we would get possession is one of the fullbacks would play a ball down the line and Joe Linton and Callum Wilson would receive it with back to goal from midfield with nobody within 30 yards of them immediately. <laughs> and lose the player- ball. Exactly. Well, inevitably so, right? Because immediately three leads players converge. I actually thought that Joe Linton had a fairly good game considering, you know, what he had in his supply. I thought he held up the ball. Well, he made a, a number of players miss and tried to bring players into play, but when there's nobody to bring into play, it ultimately becomes two attackers against six lead defenders. They're a lot faster. They're a lot more energetic. And at that point, you're never going to score from open play once that second half started. There was no way we were going to score from open play, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, I do have a bad take on what's next because it, it's out there. It's in the public Twitterverse. Uh, I Immediately after this goal, we started seeing some players warming up, and I was feeling it. I was feeling 
feeling the black and white on this one. And uh, you saw Dwight Gale get up, start warming up. You saw Miguel Amaron get up. And I said, Gale's about to come on, and Almiron's going to come on right after, and we're going to win this. That's what I tweeted. That did not Ill-fated, happen. Ill-fated, my friend. Ill-fated, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> that did not happen. Uh, I, I, really, I, I felt that way just because, like, Gale and a, or a recent championship club, and then Almiron just being the creative presence that we needed to get him a goal. So I just thought it was going to happen, but um, we already like we first off, this was after the second. No, after the first. Wait, when did we sub out Hendrick? We were down two to one at that point, right? I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm now in memory. Yeah, yeah. So we were down two. Correct, and that's that's when Emil Kraft came in, and then we subbed out Hendrick for Emil Kraft, which isn't going to help us get our second goal. But then we got it. So Bruce bailed himself out. Like in fairness, it was I understood the sub because I knew this meant that Jacob Murphy was not playing right back anymore. Yeah, I agree. That's which is like that was my next point. So like that's not a bad thing. Like I I feel like you you have a player who has clearly struggled at right back. Like I don't hate that move at all. I think like obviously it's frustrating when it's like we're down two one. We bring on a fullback. We're bring on a fullback to put a a different player in a better position. Then it's like, yeah, you're 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 leaning into my point, and I love it because that's what I was going to say. Is now it's not going to get us our goal, but what happened immediately after is Jacob Murphy got in behind and, and, and almost had a great cross uh, that would have given us an amazing scoring opportunity. Like pretty much like literally the next kick of the ball, Jacob Murphy was in behind the defense uh, attacking. And it was just like, Oh, imagine if he was doing this all match, maybe like maybe we should have given that a, a try. But um, I tweeted that out. I said, wow, look at that. Jacob Murphy doing well playing the position that he's actually supposed to be playing. Yeah. Uh, but Emil was also our only defensive sub. That's the other part. And that we don't know if that's Steve Bruce or if that's just because of what's been going on at the club, but he was it. Um, but we got Dwight Gale and Almiron on and over uh, Jolinton and Fraser. They must have been exhausted from the lack of movement they were doing. And uh, it was Almiron who kind of – this isn't completely on Almiron, this, this goal. I think it's more, way more on Sean Longstaff again. Sean Longstaff was completely dispossessed of, of, of possession on the edge of his own box, which he's done plenty of times in a Newcastle shirt. Um, and Almiron, because of that, so Almiron's tracking up because Sean Longstaff has the ball. He loses the ball, and now the Leeds player got to jump on Almiron, and Almiron lost his man on the back post. Um, and it was Stuart Dallas, right? Yeah, you have Stuart Dallas, and he, uh, Almiron got a nice view watching Stuart Dallas latching on to Matt Cleesh's, Cleesh, 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 Uh, but yeah, goal three to two. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they they finished with a, I'll just continue on before, and then we'll just recap sure. the rest of the match, <laughs> but they finished with a flurry of goals. Uh, they just, mounted more and more in the, uh, into pressure. They had two quick counterattacks from, from opposition corners at both times they scored on those. And then uh, Ali uh, uh, Aloski, Aloski, yeah, 
I'm so bad with names. Uh, he scored an 85th minute um, before Harrison, our MLS, our MLSer at heart, Harrison, uh, just scored a tremendous goal three minutes after that. Um, long range shot past Darlow to make it five to two. And that is all she wrote. 25 shots, five goals. Zach, give us your thoughts. On the entirety of the match, um, this all, whatever like you could talk about the goals, the entirety of the match, all of it, whatever you need to do, whatever sure. you need. This is a venting session now. Uh, <laughs> you can get everything off your chest that you need to say. For, no, I, I think you you kind of you kind of brushed over it nicely that the third goal was more on Longstaff than it was on Almiron, even if you know at first sight it, it looked the opposite. Miguel Almiron is not a left back and was essentially playing as a left back in that specific situation. So it's another example of a player in a position that he does not belong in. Um, And then Miguel Almiron, you know, it's one of those things where if you've played, if anybody has played a sport long enough, you know that you develop these kind of subconscious tendencies for a defender, it would be attacking the ball, looking around, understanding the space. Miguel Almiron, for no criticism of him, doesn't have those tendencies because he has, in his entire career, never been a central or left defender. So was he to blame for that a little bit? Was Longstaff more to blame? Absolutely. And then from there, it seemed as though it was tired legs. Uh, it seemed that Leeds just wanted it more. And it's not surprising, right? This is the B- this is Bielsa ball. This is what we're all excited to see this season is a team that never lets up, never takes their foot off the gas. I think the fourth goal was probably the most infuriating just because there were four Leeds players lining up. So it was a question very, very quickly into that counterattack, a question of who would score rather than would they score. Um, and then the Jack Harrison goal, I mean, a gorgeous strike. No defender really closed them down. At that point, the game was done and dusted but that yeah the second half catastrophe that we saw today pretty much in a nice way summed up the state of newcastle united and and really did bring us back down to earth totally elijah what you got um i'd say like read the long staff goal i agree with you i i think the issue though is that says way more like i said about how does the manager train the team on how to defend um like there's a level of like because, like, if you just look at – if you were to take a, a screenshot of the moment Song Longstaff won possession back, there, like, obviously Almiron's starting to push up the pitch. That's no question. But even before that, like, th- there was always an open man at the back post because Dallas is a fullback that bomb- bombs forward. Like, if you do your scouting report, like, you know this. I already said this. Their fullbacks are essentially, like, way better offensively than they are defensively. At a moment, like like they've they've played in the midfield. They, that's how that's what they're. It's like Trent Alexander Arnold. If Trent Alexander Arnold couldn't defend, and also was like slightly worse at everything else because he's amazing. But it's it's just like you do your homework and you know, hey, if if they've got so many guys on one side of the pitch, you have got to be looking out. If 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 the winger is pinched in and in the box, Jamal Lewis is marking their 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 winger in the box like there's going to be that run coming in from behind like there's just there's got to be better preparation there and it's like again no fault to to everyone involved because i blame the system more than anything because like if this is under a different manager that stresses a little bit more defensively or at least has an idea what they're doing defensively there's at least a conversation about what do we do in this scenario what do we do when we have three defenders in the box Obviously, we're going to have to rely on a midfielder to track back and defend and watch that back post. 
But again, that's something else. I think the frustrating thing, like Zach said, about the last goals were simply just will. Like, it was just really more like Leeds were a more in shape team. And we talked about this in the West Brom match because this happened as well. Newcastle definitely seemed out of shape. And arguably, you could say that about this whole season. They have looked in second halves very, like, very much so like passengers at times. And this was a perfect example of this where, like, Someone mentioned this, and we didn't even talk about this because it's not even relevant, but there was a, a, a penalty shout. Say what you want. And someone tried to argue with me on Twitter. Like, again, this happens all the time. Argue with me on Twitter. They they were like, you know, this game would be different. We wouldn't, like, we this game would be different if that, no, it wouldn't be different if that penalty shout happens because, like, there's nothing, like, one play, for, first and foremost, does not change the outcome of a match. Secondly, one goal in a, in a, in a match in which you give up five goals like that that's not going to change anything and he's like well we were chasing the game at this point and it's like no we gave up two goals off of counters from corners in which they had the same amount of players in the box like that we had everyone had two players outside the box at this point and when the ball was cleared you saw Isaac Hayden sprinting back and you saw our two fullbacks trying to contain and, and mosey around and figure out what's going on and then you saw out of nowhere four leads players enter the screen and like, of like that's that's not that's not like hey they had guys back. No, that's just they had guys who were in better shape and more committed and wanted to win more. That that's that's not a like oh we we sneak out with the draw if there's a penalty. No, no, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. And it's like if we go up two one, that doesn't change how Newcastle played because when Newcastle played, when they were up one zero, they sat back and absorbed pressure. Like they played right into Leeds' hands. Uh, it's 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 whatever. Um. It's it was a match. It happened. There's some great quotes that came out of it. So we can talk about this. Yeah, you, you can always say like, oh, yeah, this this could have changed this moment and that could have changed that moment. But, you know, at the end of the day, like it didn't happen. So like I, I, it doesn't matter like there. And I, I get what people say and what you say, Elijah, that like, you know, how is Steve Bruce tra- training defenders like there? there is not enough blame. And there hasn't been since Bruce has been here on the players. Uh, that that's completely unacceptable from the players how that match ended. It's a lack of effort. It's a lack of trying, and it's 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 an absolute embarrassment. And like the the fourth goal when there was three Leeds players all alone on the left side of the box with no one marking. That's not Steve Bruce. That's that's lack of giving a fuck to be honest. And that's no, that's on I, them. No, it- the fourth goal that it's was totally counter, on the play and, on, and I'm saying like I literally like at this point from the 50th minute on Newcastle players were visibly tired yeah. and and yeah, that's, and, that's and, and I'm saying like and you can say I don't know who you want to blame for that you can blame the players you can blame Steve Bruce I, but I think that that's it, happened two matches in a row and I, I'm gonna say and there, I said this last time they did have like they weren't training for two weeks like I, I understand that but again I understand what you're saying there's definitely got to be blame on the players somewhere there I think needs it's to be. I think I think I think it goes both ways. I think totally. that sp- I think speaking to to what you're saying here, Greg, it's unacceptable that there are three players unmarked in the box. I I think that's it's tough to argue with that. To touch on what Elijah is saying, I think that there's two there are two words that kind of sum up the way that I look at how this fell apart, and that's situational planning. Yeah. So many of the quotes yeah, that we see. So many of the quotes that we see from Steve Bruce, and today was no exception, after the match, he said, you know, for 60 minutes, we were, we were playing our best football. We were, we were right up there. And then a few things happened. And that in, that, therein lies a massive issue for me. 
Because as a coach, you need to be going into matches with every scenario mapped out. The scenario of, okay, what happens if we go up 1-0? How do we shift our tactics? What happens if we go into half drop? Like You need to have every single thing worked out in your mind. And that is a key quality that Steve Bruce lacks. And I would agree with you. A lot of the blame does need to go down to the players because at the end of the match, they were tired, yes, but they also essentially gave up. I would say after after the third goal, it was all but done at that point. However, there needs to be this thinking. Steve Bruce knows the fitness the players are in. He knows what he has to deal with. He has to have plans in mind. Okay, what if we're chasing the game? Okay, what if it's tied in the 60th minute? And there was none of that, and there's never been any of that. Yeah, no, the blame needs to go on all sides. Uh, I'm not saying that it's one or the other for sure, uh, because Bruce royally botched this one. Uh, but there needs to be more blame on the players. The the getting dispossessed on, on like right at the edge of your box of the ball. The ball watching, like you were taught as a child, not to ball watch if you're defending in the box. Like they teach that for children to they learn that skill. Like not Premier League. Like that's not something you do at this level. Um, and that's that's also Bruce's fault, and that's also the players' fault. It's it's no one watch like the first one of the first things you learn in defending is you don't. You don't watch the ball. You watch it. You mark your player. And like, that is just absolute baseline guidance for defending in, in football. So like, yeah, there's a lot of blame to go around. This was an absolute dumpster fire. Let's get into quotes because it, the dumpster fire continues. Um, uh, one part of the quote, this first quote from Bruce, I agree with the other. I don't, the one I don't agree with is up until 75 minutes. I thought we were comfortable. That's the, that's the first part. Uh, I'd love to hear more <laughs> about what the hell he was talking about. Uh, he followed it up with, I thought we looked a threat when we equalized. I personally, not maybe, maybe most y'all might not agree with me here, but I'm just saying that because I clearly tweeted like we're about to win. Um, so I thought that we did look like a threat when he brought Gail and Amron on, but uh, it's absolutely clueless to me that he can say 75 minutes in, I thought we were comfortable. Uh, after getting dominated for 65 to the 75 minutes. We, we, we were, I would argue we were not comfortable for any minute in that entire match. <laughs> even, uh, even, even when we went up one nil, every single person said, well, that was against the run of play. Um, as to the other point, you always feel, you always feel uh, like you're a goal threat when you score a goal. So I think there's a grain of salt to be taken with both of those statements. Yeah. I mean, Newcastle were comfortable the entire match because this is what they've been used to. I mean, this, oh, wow. Oh, 30% possession. Like that, that's comfortable oh, yeah, because good, Newcastle have picked up results doing the same thing. So like, uh, yeah, sure. In Steve Bruce's eyes, they were comfortable because True. they were in, they were still in the game despite like not actually doing anything. Yeah. That's comfortable. Sure. Why not? Like uh, that any team that is not good for so long is comfortable when they are like, in that position of like, oh yes, we have we're drawn and we've played like crap. Yeah, they're well, yeah, sitting back, like, twiddling their thumbs, whatever. It's 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 his. Yeah, you're right. It's his misconception, his distorted reality of what being satisfactory is. It, it, you're you're exactly right. Uh, of course, it seems like it's comfortable because it's exactly what you set the team out to do. But comfortable does not always mean you know. It, it, comfortable does not mean that you're you're 
at neck and neck with the other club because we frankly weren't for really any moment of that match. But I agree. It's, you know, we, we can't expect any different type of quote out of uh, a manager who knows nothing but playing in that exact same manner game after game. Yeah. Uh, I, what it's, I think it's important to read the rest of his quotes here because he talks on a number of things. So he said, of course, leads are always going to ask you questions the way they play. They do it very well, but we've gifted them two or three goals at the end. Unfortunately, there's something which you see on a park on a Sunday. Um, we can't make those mistakes we've made here. The third goal in particular, where we've gave the ball away cheaply in our own box, you get punished for things like that at this level. At the wrong time, we've given away poor goals, not defended well enough, and got punished. It's unacceptable. Uh, on VAR, he said, I honestly was all for VAR when they brought it in to make sure the clear and obvious mistake that the referee misses. That's what the VAR is there for. If anyone looks at that challenge, it was the challenge by Liam Cooper on Callum, and the game was at 1-1, which Elijah was alluding to earlier as well. Uh, Bruce said, you'll understand that it's a clear penalty. We might not have gone on to win the match, but certainly when you take the lead in the Premier League, then the outcome could be very, very different. I'll leave it to other people to judge. Any thoughts on on how the rest of his quotes summed up? What I mean, he is right in saying, like, the, the one thing, like, yeah, you take a lead in the Premier League, that like that holds water, but the way that, that was, it wasn't like Leeds was going to, or us was going to change the way we were playing we would have sat back and Leeds would have continued pressing and attacking. So like it very well could have finished six to two after taking the lead. Uh, Cause no, I don't it would think have anything five, would have changed three. in the match. Yeah. Five, three. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. You saying that Elijah, like, I really do think yeah. that the result would be very similar. Would, would any of y'all disagree? No. It's, yeah. I mean, okay. it's, just it's, thinking, sir. it's just like, like, I mean, if you give up five goals, I'm sorry, one pen, especially when, you didn't change how you played despite – like, that's the thing. Newcastle had a lead. They were down at one point, and they drew. And they didn't change anything they did. And it like like Zach's saying, what's the situ- – like, there's no situational – like, there's no situational tactics. There's no situational conversations being had. Because the way Newcastle played when they were down 2-1 and the way they played when they were up one nothing, and the way they played when they drew 2-2, it was all the exact same. So it's like, uh, sure, yeah, sure, VAR needs to be fixed. But, like, hey, cry me a river. Like, everyone hates VAR. Everyone loves VAR when it works for them. They hate it when it doesn't work for them. So, like, who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, going to stats. Uh, I mentioned it was his 50th match, Steve Bruce, in charge. He has, in his 50 matches, um, he has 16 wins and 13 draws. <laughs> um, uh but Rafa had 15 wins, 13 draws, and 22 defeats in his first 50. So very similar records. But Rafa did not get $100 million of investment. Please remember that. Uh, Jeff Hendrick scored his second goal for Newcastle. He had one in his debut, if you remember, against West Ham. Um, with the exception of Callum, he's the first Newcastle player to score more than once this season. And the other Irishman, Kieran Clark. Uh, netted for the first time this season. He has now eight Premier League goals. Um, he has uh, three in the championship as well. So uh, we conceded three times in 12 second half minutes, one minute slower than we did to Manchester United. We let in three uh, goals in 11 minutes to them. 
and uh, Leeds scored five times in one match for the first time since they won five to one in September of 1971. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Expected goals uh, go into our XG stats. Expected goals was way closer than the score line, uh, but it was still like significant. Uh, Leeds had 2.95 expected goals. We had 1.4. So like a three to one, maybe three to two victory is what expected stats are saying. Uh, any guesses on who led Newcastle in expected goals? Uh, Jeff Hendrick, because it was right in front of. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that yeah. that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, and uh, expected assists. Callum Wilson. Water, so. <laughs> yep, who assisted it to Jeff. Um, some other stats and expected. Uh, 73% of the chances in the match went to Leeds. They had 25 shots to R10, 10 on target. Target to R4. Um, and they were expected to get 2.36 points to us, 0.46. So obviously expecting a win. Going to 538, and 538 projects how the Premier League season is going to end up. Uh, we've been trending upward because we won two in a row. Uh, that is not happening anymore. We're, there's no more upward trends. Um, they have Newcastle projected to finish in 15th with 42 points uh, tied on with Brighton um, with Burnley, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield finishing behind us. Uh, I said 15th, I meant 16th, but uh, we have a 17% chance to get relegated a 1% chance, less than a 1% chance, sorry, to qualify for the champions league and less than a 1% chance to win the premier league. And we have a glorious 4% chance of a top 10 finish. Uh, Zach, who is your worst player of the match? Unfortunately, I think it has to be Longstaff to me. Um, he, he's the one player that I think you can, again, you can directly associate with multiple of those goals, uh, him having a hand in that. Uh, Elijah, great points before. I think he himself is not fully to blame, but a bad match is a bad match. Um, he would be my worst player for today. Elijah? I'm going to go with Jamal Lewis. I think he's just been not great uh, just past few matches. Definitely think, like, we talk about Jetro Willems potentially coming in January. I think it's a move you have to make because, like, right now, similar to Joel Linton last season, there's no other option. So, like, if he has a bad match, if he needs to take a step back from the first team, get his mind right, there's no opportunity for him. He's he's started nearly every match. And the alternative is a Matt Ritchie or playing Mankio on the left. And Mankio's Falling out of favor with Steve Bruce as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I, just the one the one comment on uh, Willems. I think a mentor would be the best possible thing for Jamal Lewis's career right now. So I, I think mm. that having you know even if he continues to start, having a seasoned veteran like Willems uh, would do him absolute wonders and and really kind of continuing to cut his teeth at the top level. Yeah, that's a that's a good call out. Uh, I would have said Sean Longstaff as well. Uh, just to reward players that thought did well, uh, all the Newcastle players that, that finished with a seven or higher, way more than I thought. But we had Jolinton, Jeff Hendrick, Kieran Clark, Jacob Murphy, and Ryan Fraser had a 7.71 rating, by the way. So New Sports says Ryan Fraser had a really good match. Um, let's take a break. We need it after that one. 
and we'll uh, we'll get we'll catch you up with some news on the other side. Be back after this. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Newcastle videos and podcasts, download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. All right, we're back with some news. The first news is Derby County, not because they beat Swansea today. Freddie Woodman was not happy, uh, but because the Ben Zayed group is sketch. Elijah, explain. Yeah, um, as we kind of talked about a couple weeks back, BZG uh, looked like everything was uh, done and dusted for them to take over Derby County. Um, again, much cheaper price than Newcastle. Kind of made sense because the the stick was always that they didn't have enough funds, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we found out um, that that uh, that they are that whole takeover has kind of been put on pause because they still owe the law firm that helped them with the Newcastle sale five hundred thousand pounds. So um, that's currently on hold. And uh, to quote George Bush, "If you fool me once, <laughs> shame on you. If you fool me, if you wait, what fool me? He, fool me he messed up. He messed Can't it up. Shame again. on me. Shame, yeah. shame me." Shame me, fool. But anyway, fool, yeah. The- fool me, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Can't, can't get fooled again. Or <laughs> Kanye, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. I put the blame on you. I think that was Kanye. That might have been Kanye or Jay Z. No, no, that's 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 J. Cole. Oh, damn! Black smoked. All right, well, that's done and dusted. The, no longer the black and white podcast. Just the white and white podcast, evidently. <laughs> I'm Reports done. out of Atlanta saying that Elijah Newsom will be taking a hiatus from God. CHN Radio. Damn. I'm walking away from the black community after that. I Damn. Just, they, they've taken my card. All right, we're just going to move <laughs> on to the next. What's next, Greg? What's next uh, well, the this is this is one of the big benefits why we have our resident expert, Zach Pensack, on this call from the False Nines. And if you don't already, you must listen to the False Nines episodes because it, it, it gives you – the best, sweetest, most genuine, prolific, that's all true, uh, reactions to the Premier League with a little Newcastle, little couple drops in there. Exactly. And uh, and uh, Zach, I really want to hear your takes here because there's big links in the Premier League. Uh, and our former, former leader, our former leader, Fat Sam Allardyce, is apparently the, the, the absolute leader like far away leader to take over West Brom. Um, what are you hearing on that? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I am hearing that it is pretty much done and dusted at this point. Uh, so for folks like myself that saw this news after their draw against Manchester city on Tuesday, and were quite shocked at the decision, I have read that this decision was actually made prior to that match after their loss against Newcastle on the weekend. So a lot of logic and reasoning behind that West Brom, uh, the leakiest defense in the premier league so far this season. And it was off to, to quite a, a poor start. Now people, and I would be one of these people like to criticize Sam Allardyce on, let's say maybe not the most attractive style of football. There was a video going around today. Uh, I think that Elijah, you showed me of him describing how does one win in the premier league? And it did seem like this almost elementary school steps to, to success that being said his record of keeping teams up is 
fairly impressive. He's done it with five different, or excuse me, four different clubs, I believe, in five different seasons, taken over them in uh, you know in a relegation battle and kept them in the Premier League. So for a team like West Brom, whose clear goal this season is just staying alive, they do did not spend a ton of money in the summer. They don't have. I think you could say a ton of quality, uh, a lot of, um, you know, exciting prospects on the pitch. Um, it, it ultimately makes sense of a move. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Go ahead, Elijah. Go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I would just add to that. I think the issue is really more like there's, there's, there's two things. First and foremost, I saw this, this tweet uh, that kind of was making the rounds yesterday uh, when started the, the rumbling started to occur um, and yesterday meaning, Wait, today's Tuesday. Yes, yesterday mean Tuesday. Um, they said essentially the question you have to ask yourself, and this is from at Luke Hat, it's Luke Atfield at L Hatfield underscore star. So shout out to him. I don't think he knows about this podcast. He said the question you need to ask yourself if you're Albion is simple: who's available? Who could do a better job with the players available and is willing to take on that role? And the the point being here is that the West say what you want to say about Billups tactics. But the players do want to play for him. They try for him, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it's not like West Brom are a team that is – like, when Roth Benitez was brought in to save Newcastle, it was a plausible thing. Like, it was, it, was a, it was a long shot, but it was somewhat plausible because there was talent on that team. There was there was Georgino Wijnaldum. There there was a Mitrovic. There was an Andy Townsend. Like, there, there's a, there, was, there was players who were good on that team. The, the issue with West Brom is that they didn't spend a lot to improve the team. And it's, it's very evident that the team is not great uh, top to bottom. And then on top of that, the way Sam wants to play, that team is not set up to play. It's a classic Frank DeBoer, Crystal Palace thing where Frank DeBoer comes in. He's like, I want to play this particular style of football. I'm not going to really adjust to it, blah, blah, blah. And the team is built completely different. West Brom has a lot of kind of smaller wingers and tactical plays. They don't really have a target man you can boot it up to at this moment in time. Now, whether or not that changes, I mean, that could change. I mean, you've got the loan market in January. You've got players like Solomon Rondon, who maybe you could bring in uh, from China. He's definitely seems like he's done there, wants to come back to the Prem. Uh, maybe you, someone jokingly said, loan in Andy Carroll. Like, I don't know what you do there to kind of fit the style that, that Sam wants to play, but that would be my only kind of concerns regarding West Brom. It is an interesting move. I ultimately don't think this is not going to be one where Sam is going to be able to save this team because there's just such a gap between the the quality of talent they have and just the rest of the Prem, even between them and Leeds, which is a team that went up with them. It just seems like top to bottom Leeds is a better team. Like take away Biesla, they're just a better team. They've got better players. Yeah. Uh, fun little thing to end this one on is if Sam Allardyce does get the job at West Brom, then it will be Allardyce, Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew, and Roy Hodgson would all have managed both West Brom and Crystal Palace within the last decade. That's, that's the all-star, that's the all-star lineups of outdated (laughs) British managers. That's, that is the complete bingo card right there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sadly, only, only two of those people have managed England in the last decade. So um so we need to england england needs to get it up get that whole list down uh pretty quickly uh so we can make sure that we could say crystal palace west brom and england (laughs) have had all those players manage them um let's go to the bs meter elijah 
Yeah, uh, this is a pretty quick one. And, and Zach, I don't think you've done a BS meter with us. It's pretty simple. We just I I tell you a little transfer rumbling a rumor, and you kind of determine how much BS is this. Whether it's okay. a a dump truck load of BS, whether it's somewhat plausible and it's maybe just a baby turd or something like that. But um, <laughs> there are some reports coming out of France that there could be clubs interested in poaching a lot of league uh, players because they've had an issue uh, with their TV deal um, going into this season. Uh, essentially, they had a $1.2 billion TV deal that was going to go uh, underway. And they kind of built their team's anticipating a one like a huge influx of cash and uh that that's not going to happen it's kind of completely crumbled uh this is kind of means that you're going to have it may not affect the psgs of the world but it could affect some of the other teams with top talents that are looking for larger contracts etc etc and it's it's noted that newcastle among other premier league teams are going to be scouring that french market um of course like you know, uh, it's already been reported that Leo is going to be selling Renato Sanchez. Uh, and, of course, Bubakar Samara is a player that Newcastle have been heavily interested in. Uh, essentially had a deal done, uh, 35 million pounds. He was not really interested in joining Newcastle. But times are changing. Uh, now Newcastle is a team that is firmly mid-table. And it does not look like uh, Leal is going to be able to afford to pay Samara mm-hmm. going forward. So, I don't know. It. I wouldn't. I'm not going to say a particular player, but... Odds Newcastle are going to start looking at the French market league, uh, maybe bring in a French player on the low. BS meter. I don't think it's the biggest clump of BS that I've ever heard. Uh, let's go with, going to give a visual representation here. I'll go with maybe a dodgeball, a dodgeball size amount of BS. I think that like something handheld, but also like quite sizable. I, I would say that my, you know, the, the, the place that kind of gives me trepidation here is that we haven't seen Steve Bruce assemble. Appreciate that. Um, we haven't seen Steve Bruce really assemble any sort of international scouting department, or at least heard about it. Let's let's. I mean, Jeff Hendrick, Callum Wilson, Jamal Lewis. Like you, you Ryan see Fraser. a trend. Ryan Frazier. You you see a trend here in the type of players that Seabrews is mainly looking at. Now, yes, that there have been a few players who have come from outside the country. That being said, a number of those were loan signees and also a number of those never played, it seemed like, a second for Newcastle. So is there the strategic implementation of a transfer department to harken back to the, you know, the lay-tune Alan Pardew days? I don't think that that is assembled. I, I could certainly see us getting one or two players maybe on this kind of like picking through the garbage of, of transfer listed players, but are we going to go out and target a player who, you know, maybe is not uh, their club isn't looking to sell right this moment, but we, we know the potential there. We know what they can do. I don't think so. I, I mean, I would, I would add to that though. There's a level of how in control is Steve Bruce regarding transfers. I think there's a level of control um, because as you can see, the transfer targets he's been able to actually go after. They've all been British, Callum Wilson, Jamal Lewis. We can go down the list, blah, blah, blah. But when you're talking about those big money signings, north of 30 million pound deals, north of 20 million pound deals, that seems to still be in, in all respects, even going back to Miguel Amaron, that, that that's uh, on the large, on the grand scheme of things, Miggy, it was a Rafa want and Rafa pushed for Miggy for a long time. 
and it was a done deal. It's still like, you know, 20 million or so pounds, but I'll say Maxman and Joel Linton were like the club had been set on buying those players for years. Like sure. that was, that was going to happen. So if they have their eyes on a couple of players in France, even if that's not what Steve Bruce wants and they think that they can get a deal done for them, I'm, I'm looking at a Samari or something like that. I, maybe I could see them trying to figure out Renato Sanchez. I don't know if there's, if there's a player out there, I could see that happening, but yeah, those middle of the road, like, you know, backup left back options or, you know, another winger. I don't see that happening. Uh, they were linked earlier this, this, I guess, couple weeks ago to Bulaye Dia who is at rim uh, could happen um, given this, but again, I wouldn't put a lot of stock into it. I think it's plausible. They scour, but in terms of actually making a signing, I don't know. I, I doubt it just because I'm looking at a loan heavy January with all of our loan slots essentially available. Um, and Steve Bruce being obsessed with British players <laughs> on, on the back of his uh, match winning goal today. Give me, give me, give me a loan link for Tim Weah from, from Lille. Give me, give me that link. Bring the American into the, the Newcastle side. That's what I want. That? See. I mean, like if we're talking about developing young players and we're looking at Steve, Bruce, there, there, like, there was, there was a, there was a healthy dose of sarcasm there. <laughs> oh, good. Oh God. Cause that scares me whenever Newcastle, like when Newcastle were like to Anthony Robinson, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm, I, I just, I just finished fourth in my FIFA 21 career mode, having bought Gio Reyna and Serginio Dest with Newcastle. So anything's go. possible, I suppose. And his league. Uh, yeah, my, my only thought there is, Zach, you hit it a little bit. Uh, I can see us loaning in – well, Elijah, you did too. Loaning in some of those players, actually, like uh, Samare might be a huge loan option if a club is, like, worried about paying those wages. Um, and like, this would give a good – it would be an audition for a player like him. Doesn't have to make the decision now, but, it, I mean, this is a long shot, so my BS is pretty high on this one. Uh, but – like a player like that could benefit. Like if like Newcastle could benefit, I mean, um, from, from them worrying about like just purely payments um, that we could take a player on, assure us safety and then go from there. Uh, But I was advocating today as I watched Jacob Murphy try to figure out what the hell is a right back. Uh, Kenny Lala from Strasbourg. Let's get it done. Get it done. The, that, that issue, though, is that we had two competent right backs, but Steve Bruce just decided to play a right mid at right back. That was really more of that issue. Like, I, if you're if you're ranking needs, it's like center mid, left back, and then like maybe we it's up in the air after that. Like, I'm sure what's according to Newcastle, their priority is an attacking player that can play all three positions. But that's just like a cheap way of saying they want an attacking player. Like I'm, everyone wants a versatile attacking player. Well, whoop de doo. Uh, speaking of, hey, Deli Ali, maybe be available. Yeah, wait, 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 you're saying that's possible. So wages will be a bit too high on that one, but I, I agree with you. I think that left back is the top priority. Center mid probably follows that closely, and then you know you, you throw an attacking player in there, and it will be beneficial d- depending on when they're where they're getting played. If if Miggy's being played uh, out you know, on chalk, chalk on his heels winger, then it's not going to be as beneficial than playing behind the striker. Yeah. Uh, just some updates. There's really no new updates on loans and uh, youth teams. It's not going well right now uh, on both fronts. Uh, however, some good news. 
we do have some good news is NUFC women. They absolutely dominated in their FA Women's Cup match, winning six to one. And uh, they beat Barnsley women. And uh, oh, sorry, I said, what am I on right now? Three to one is what they actually won. Six to one is what I hope they did. And uh, they're advancing to the next round. So congrats to them. Uh, keep going, girls. Keep pushing. Win the cup. Mm. Let's take another break and we'll give you, it'll be a nice little short teaser preview of our match this weekend against Fulham. And we'll be back right after this. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Plan your match day with our GPS travel planner, taking you to the best pubs, restaurants and hotels, home and away. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Okay, Newcastle United against Fulham. Newcastle sits in 14th right now with 17 points. Fulham in 17th with 9 points. Just crazy. Like, remember the last few years, I mean, really until maybe at least last five, where the bottom seven or eight were like separated between five points maybe. Uh, and now there's a legit eight-point gap between 14 and 17. Uh, that's kind of wild. Um, this is not a six-pointer because of where we're at, but it's like I think it's a very important match for, for Newcastle. Uh, to get a result from because Fulham is getting better and they have been playing a lot better recently, but like we need, we need to win these. Um, but let's get into it. We're going to rely on you, Zach, that's your, that's the premier league expert. We're the Newcastle experts, but um, let's talk about first Fulham. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Zach, on just like their form recently and any like, uh, well, actually, let's let's actually wait on that. Let's do injuries first. Uh, I don't know about much them. about Ful- Fulham's injuries, though. Do you yeah, have- um, I've Good. got them You're up saving right me. now. Uh, yeah, well, uh, for, on the Newcastle side, uh, of course, we've got, yeah. in terms of actual injuries, uh, LaSalle's is still listed out as a thigh injury. Um, take that as you may. Like, I don't doubt he was actually – like, given the fact that we know Ryan Fraser is actually out due to injury, like, not due to COVID, I fully think that he's definitely just injured. Alan St. Maxman would not doubt he's actually injured. Uh, Dubrovka, probably still injured. He really wasn't training when the COVID outbreak happened. And Paul Dummett, I mean, like, he's been injured since, like, forever. Uh, on the on the uh, the Fulham side, Kenny Tete, he's out with a calf injury, and then uh, Terrence Congolo, uh, center back, he's out as well. He's got a broken foot. He's he's not returning anytime soon. But the the Kenny Tete one is probably the more recent one that's of relevance to to Fulham. That's a a decent fullback they've lost. A, a decent one. Uh, would you do you miss uh, Alexander Mitrovic? I mean, it, 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 like <laughs> if you were telling me like would Alexander Mitrovic do better than like a, a, in a front two with alongside Callum Wilson than Joel Linton has? Like, I don't know. Sure, you could talk me into that, but like, do I miss him? Like, no, not no. Not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so Fulham they followed up. They they had a one one draw against Liverpool and then drew nil-nil with Brighton at home on Wednesday. Uh, so they've won, they've lost just once in their last four, and it's, a, it's by far the best they've been this season. 
Um, and now they are now out of the bottom three. They're tied on points with 18th, but uh, they've at least come out of it. Uh, but Zach, love to hear your thoughts on how Fulham's been playing and like maybe maybe if you could give us a few players to look out for, maybe style play, anything, anything you have on Fulham. Yeah, um, definitely. Full so, America, as some Americans call it. <laughs> America. I like that. I might get on board with that. Uh, Craven yeah. Cottage is probably my favorite named stadium in England. So <laughs> I, I will give them that. Um, you, you really touched on it nicely there, Greg. Fulham, as you mentioned, uh, only one loss in their last four. Now, of those four matches, three of them coming against Leicester, Manchester City, and Liverpool. The 2-0 loss to Man City, the only loss of those three matches. So Clearly getting that run of form. I would say that Fulham kind of represents almost the opposite of West Brom when it comes to newly promoted sides in the sense that they had in a, a massive squad overhaul, only a few players who started in the championship last year starting for Fulham now. So as you'd expect, it, it takes some time to gel. It does look like they're getting things together. The defense, I, I'd say in particular, has been impressive. Anthony Robinson, you're somebody that you mentioned uh, a bit before. Elijah, he was the man of the match against Liverpool on the weekend. I saw a lot of tweets that had a few pictures of what he might have had in his pocket. And besides change and his wallet, Mohamed Salah was another thing that seemed to be buried in there. So the young American, a British-born American, really kind of coming into his own with Fulham, actually after a transfer to AC Milan fell through uh, last year. So good to see him really establish himself. And then I, I'd say Scotty Parker as a manager, a lot of people wondered how he would do a player who only 10 years ago was a starter for Tottenham Hotspur. So you're seeing another one of those, just like Frank Lampard, a guy going from playing immediately into coaching. And he does seem to have the trust and belief of his players. So I, I think this is definitely a dangerous game for Newcastle. Two teams who, who might be in very different mental states going into this, this one. Obviously, Newcastle just got two victories, but a horrible loss today. We don't know who will be available for the match, whereas Fulham's really coming together. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried, if, if i got to be honest with you guys. Oh, all right. Uh, Elijah, what does Newcastle United have to do to win this one, to get three points? What do they need to do? I honestly think they just don't need to deviate from the four four two, I mean it's it's getting the best out of your forwards when it's working. Uh, but I, like knowing Steve Bruce, he's going to try to like change things and adjust and blah blah blah. And and this situation, uh, the formation hasn't really been the issue. It's definitely been other things. And so I don't think there's not there's not a lot of need to change from that four four two or whatever you want to call it, whatever variation you will four, four, one, one, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that they should stick with that. And, you know, I wouldn't say hope for the best, but like, I'm not, I'm not expecting Steve Bruce to come out and do anything tactically at all. So like I four, four, two, put, pick a good lineup and I, yeah, hope for the best. Like they're, they're, what is Newcastle supposed to do with this situation? They're, they're I don't know. Hopefully I mean, stop all watching. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I think like I think it's important. Um, I think one thing that they probably should consider doing. Um, I think scoring. Uh, yes, uh, Scout and UFC might have had this. Just Dwight Gale, his goal scoring record against West Brom, uh, Fulham, and Leeds is like absurd. He's got like six or seven goals in the last like three or four matches against those teams, or something absurd like that. So like he's he should be a player that probably should uh, 
start this time. Uh, maybe Joel Linton gets dropped, uh, possibly even Callum Wilson, just because Callum's played so many matches uh, after coming back from injury. So I, I, I could see that being something they should do and definitely probably want to start Miguel Amron um, against a Fulham back line that's been solid. So you want a player that's going to be a bit more threatening than what we had uh, this past match. Oh, yeah. One, one more point to make on there. Another big difference between the two newly promoted sides that we're going to see in the span of four days is uh, the, the goal scoring prowess is not there for Fulham that, that we see out of Leeds. In 13 matches, Leeds with 22 goals and Fulham with only 12. So if there's one thing I would add on to what Elijah mentioned in terms of tactics and lineup, I think Newcastle has to be a lot more aggressive going forward, not play as far back. Obviously, we'll see what Steve Bruce does because – He's known to he, – he would play a back four slash five against a team who hasn't scored in eight or nine games, it seems like. But there's definitely the opportunity there to be a bit more aggressive and, and kind of in, in assert ourselves on the attacking third of the field. Yeah. Um, last thing before we get to predictions is 538. They're projecting how each match will finish, and they have it favor- favorably for Newcastle. Uh, we have a 40% chance to win. Uh, 28% chance to draw and Fulham have a 32% chance to win. So they're slightly favoring a Newcastle win. Elijah, what's your prediction? Yeah, uh, I know it's, I think Fulham's back line has been, like you said, very, very good the past few matches, especially. I could see Newcastle sneaking away here with a 1 0 victory. Uh, probably a Callum Wilson goal in the 80th minute or something like that. That just seems very on brand for Newcastle. Uh, and Steve Bruce will then say the lads bounced back well after a tough defeat, looking forward to taking on who do we play in the cup Arsenal in the cup, maybe no Brentford, sorry, Brentford, Brentford in the cup would actually at this point rather play Arsenal, but that's a different story <laughs> altogether. Uh, but uh, looking, looking forward to taking on Brentford in the cup, blah, blah, blah. And we'll lose to Brentford and then probably win next I've Ivan Tony hat trick. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Adam Armstrong, Ivan Tony, Zach, real quick, I just want your thoughts. Is that a miss for Newcastle or is it just like fans are just like mad that these players just like I personally what, what like, a, what a deviation from a match preview. <laughs> I'm just saying, I just while we have Zach wow. here, because I'm very vocal about the fact that like Ivan Tony and Adam Armstrong stunk at Newcastle. So it's not ridiculous that we let them walk away. And it's like fine that they're doing well in the championship, mind you. Like, I don't know. And also just like, would either player do well under Steve Bruce? Like I n- no to, to your last question, would either of them do well under Steve Bruce? The only reason that Callum Wilson's doing well, as you mentioned before, Elijah, is because he doesn't need Steve Bruce to tell him how to score goals. Um, I, I, I agree. I think I hate to, you know, talk about the player's quality, but they're, they're the leading scorers in the championship. They both seem as though the championship is kind of where they belong at the moment. So do I think that Newcastle missed out on either of them? Not necessarily. I think that Adam Armstrong particularly was giving time and time and time loan after loan after loan to figure it out. And it was only at the very end of that, his last stint at Blackburn that he kind of put it all together. So no. I do not think that Newcastle missed out with either of those two strikers. Zach, your Fulham Newcastle prediction. I think the only way we win is with a, a late 
a late Callum Wilson or maybe Joe Linton best. goal Ooh. off the bench. Um, yeah, I, I might go with the Joe, Joe Linton, Linton. here. I, I kind of I kind of like I I really like the way that he's been playing recently. I would like to see him and Gale up top. I think that that would be an interesting combination. Um, yeah, I I mentioned before. I think this is a scary one. So I I'm predicting a draw, but I I think that Newcastle getting a victory here would be it would be a good bounce back. I think if we win, probably a one nil. So one nil or uh, a, maybe a nil nil draw on this one. Oh. Wow. Well, I'm going to go and Newcastle is going to win. We're, I, I don't know why we're confident right now, uh, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It's going to be one nothing Newcastle with a Tom Kearney own goal. Well done. That's probably well done. the most likely outcome, too. I mean, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, is there anything else that y'all want to get off your chest before we close out this lovely episode? 17 hours later. <laughs> uh we're good all Thanks right me, guys. Well, that, that was fun. yeah yeah pleasure it's wonderful getting your premier league expertise on this show go listen to the fall science podcast uh but for now that concludes episode 159 of chn radio i'm your host greg troxel that's the best damn coast in the land why should do some that's the best false nines host shout shots fired uh in the land Zach Pensack, and this is the best song in the world coming home to Newcastle. We'll see you soon. Let's get three points and away the last. Love you guys. Yeah. To be a Geordie and to live in Geordie land. Some people think we're forty and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self-pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wing. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river dine. I'm coming home. Newcastle, I wish I'd never been a weird. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny how we I'm coming home. Then I miss the old blind busker who stands at Phoenix door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the cup again Brave the dog, St. James's Park, in the Gallagher end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. I've walked the streets all day. I'll wait for a bottle of the River Tyne. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny Howie. I'm coming home, Newcastle. 
might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll pray the dog is in James's pocket The Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming home